Six Pack Lab at that. Another <clears throat> episode of King of the Lifts. Real quick off the hop, before I get Jen Milliken on here, I want to give a shout out to FusionMuscle.com. Make sure you're buying all your supplements from there. Use promo code KOTL25 and get yourself 25% off all your supplements, and they got it all. Whether it's creatine, uh, multivitamins, pre workout, protein, whatever you want, they got you, and they will drop it off at your house. 25% off, man. Why would you pay regular price? Go to FusionMuscle.com. Could not be easier. K-O-T-L 25 and get you some. Now, with no further ado, about to call my girl Jennifer Milliken. And um, look, I got some crow to eat. Who's kidding who? I had picked Meg Scanlon for number one, Sam for number two, Jen for number three. And uh, Jen said straight up, look it, you picked wrong. Uh, she wrote a blog about it and, and posts about like the whole um, experience. But she mentioned a couple times about our preview show in which, um, I mean, straight up, I, did, I, didn't pick, I didn't pick her to take it. And uh, I got a feeling I'm going to be eating some crow right now, but I'll eat it happily. It's a tough job to make your picks. I did say this was the, this was the most competitive class in the women's division, and it is. Um, and uh, I mean Jennifer I did say also Jennifer Milliken world champion uh, best lifter winner at the world championships you don't get any higher in terms of stature than Jennifer Milliken it's just man when it's this close it's literally flip a coin I flipped the coin I flipped wrong so I am ready to eat my crow and get the whole story from Jennifer Milliken not just that but prep um, execution and what lays ahead in the future because it looks like we might have a return to Belarus which obviously treated her very kind in 2017 when she won the World Championships and the Women's Best Lifter Champion of Champions Award at the Worlds. It doesn't get no higher than that. She's the queen of powerlifting, looking to regain that stature. So with no further ado, let's give her a ring. after you won the Worlds? Yep. I believe you were a world champion and we brought you on. And, um, I mean, a lot has happened since then. Obviously, Calgary even took place. I saw you there. We did a brief interview for the IPF after you won. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been a, a solid minute since then. Just want to catch up. So, right off the bat, obviously, I picked wrong on the U.S. Raw Nationals. <laughs> <laughs> I picked all types of wrong. But you actually wrote a really good blog um, leading into this, and there was a lot of pieces moving around in the background for you. Yeah, for sure. I lost. Um, I lost you. Like I can hear you, but I can't see you. You can't see me. Uh. -uh. uh, -uh. Could you see me in the beginning? <laughs> yeah, and then you just it just went away. Uh, uh. Do you want me? I can call you back. Um. Yeah, let's try that okay. if you if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because I feel weird talking to a black screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I can see you. You can't see me. It's awkward. 
All right, I'll give you a read back. We'll yeah. Okay. Can you see me that? Is back. I can see you. Did you click the little camera down there? Um, yeah, I'm on the camera. It says turn, it says turn video off. Um, yeah, it says turn it off. To click it, I'll turn it off. So my camera's on. I can actually see uh, my Skype shows what I'm looking at, like what you would see, so I can see myself as well through my camera. Hmm. Mm -hmm. See if I can push a button. Is um yeah. It's weird that you could see me for a second. Yeah, and then it just went black. Oh, it says Michael is recording the call. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, I just tried to push that button to see if that would make anything happen. And it didn't. turns everything on all over again. Okay, yeah, we'll try okay, that. Okay, let's try that. Okay, well. <laughs> Perfect. Now, this should work. And I, she's got to see it because um, I got some crony, man, and she's earned it. A little technical difficulties here. But yeah, talking about the 63s real quick while she's logging in, logging out. You're talking about three ladies who've all broken IPF world records. Um, you're talking about ladies who've all medaled at the IPF world championships. And, um, and then Jen, who is a world champion. In terms of the women's division, and I don't think the men's division had a three-way battle with that kind of depth of competition battling on the podium. To think that, you know, somebody with, with a, a resume like theirs might be coming in second or third. You know, it's rare you're ever going to see something like that at, at a national level. So, um, I mean, that was probably the toughest division to call. I'm thinking for sure on the women's, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I don't think there was a men's. Obviously, the one of fives with uh, Ashton and Bryce was a hell of a battle, but neither th there was two of them. And, um, I mean, Mike D was, was in the mix, but he doesn't have that resume. In terms of resume... You know, even Ashton doesn't have a resume at the world level. You know, he's got some unofficial world records, but... I think it's probably his most stacked. Oh, yep. Can you see it? Yes. Okay, you got your IT guy? <laughs> he's, he's from the IT department? That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, we are back. So yeah, let's let's pick it up. Um, so I was just telling the viewers when we were settling that up how 2017 you won the world championships, um, won the champion of champions award, the best lifter. 20, 2018 Calgary won the world championships again, and I think that was the year you had like a Titanic third deadlift. 
Like you were rocking yeah. and rolling, locking that bad boy out. It was a hell of a struggle, um, and it was like well, probably one of the be- the best fights. So it was a really big win. Uh, we I interviewed you on the platform afterwards, and it was like it was a dramatic back to back W's. And then um, so let's pick up from there because I read the blog and you had a lot of moving pieces going on leading into this. And training, right. and training you said like some numbers weren't there that you wanted, and you were like. Shit, man, it was, you know, it was, there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, and if you don't sure. mind, I'd like to, like, pick up and show some of that. Sure. So, um, yeah, after, after Calgary, um, I, I knew I was going to go up to the 63s after that. Um, and then, so I would, so I did, na- I did my first nationals as a 63 and did really well, um, hit, you know, I would I would say it's probably one of the uh, one of my best meets of all time. I mean, the only other meet I would compare it to is 2017 Worlds. Um, but yeah, so I I had that really great meet. So I expected after that for training to just totally skyrocket and um, to have a full year training as a 63 for my numbers to just be huge going into training. So my expectation really high, and then. Um, you know, I, I, once I got into training, it kind of, it wasn't, it just wasn't taken off at all. <laughs> and then, well, not, that's not necessarily true. It was really taking off till about January. So October to January um, was going pretty well. Um, my deadlift, my deadlift got really, you know, I, I pulled 205 in the gym, which was crazy for me. Yeah. And then, um and then after that, after January, it just kind of started sliding, sliding backwards a little bit. And my bench, my bench has done this thing in the past before where it just goes away. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it's like. It, it happened before I did my first meet in uh, USA Powerlifting. It, it tanked like four weeks out. Like I lost like 50 pounds off my bench Holy about four weeks Holy. out. Yeah. It just, it just went away. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I don't know. We just kind of thought, thought it was a, an impingement. But anyway, this is the thing that has happened before. And then it happened again in January. It just kind of, it just kind of left. <clears throat> so then I was, I was training for the Arnold at that point. And I was originally supposed to do the, the pro-am. I was invited to do the pro-am. And then my feelings were kind of hurt because I wasn't invited to do the Grand Prix. As the first year, I hadn't been invited to do the Grand Prix. I knew Sam and Jen were both doing it. Mm. And um, so I was kind of disappointed in that. Um, but then, you know, people, people dropped out, and then they asked me to go to the Grand Prix. And by the time they asked me to go to the Grand Prix, I was like, I don't want I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to do the Grand Prix because my bench was so behind and my numbers just hadn't hadn't moved much at all. Um, but you know, that's kind of the thing. That meet that that nationals where it was me, Sam and Jen, that that was a crazy that was just a crazy meet. You know, we all we all had really good meets, we all we all hit hit lifts, you know. Every single, it's so funny because we were all pulling, all third pulls, we were pulling for the same total. Um, and I would have, even if I would have gotten my third pull, I would have lost on body weight anyway, so it's just even funnier. But, um, 
anyway, it's it's hard to come back from it's hard to come back from meats like that. Like yeah. to have the to have a really great meat like that, it's really hard to in my experience anyways, it's really hard to follow that up with another really great meat. So going into the Arnold, my numbers just were what they want what I wanted them to be. <clears throat> and I knew Scanlon was gonna be there and she was on fire and I was kind of getting the vibe from Sam that she was kind of in the same boat that I was. Like it just wasn't, uh, you know, it's just difficult to follow up that nationals. Um, so anyways, I went into the Arnold and just decided to just be pretty conservative and just go nine for nine, not stress about placing or breaking records or anything like that. And then kind of start back over again. So that's what we did. And, um, again, I kept waiting for, I kept waiting for the momentum to hit after the Arnold and it just, it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't hitting. I just kept waiting to hit that. You know how it is. If you're training yeah. for a meet, you kind of, you hit that stride where you're, where everything's just clicking and numbers are falling. Like it's all, it's all coming together. Yeah. You're like, I, there are points and I know what you mean and it's, you can't really put your finger on where there's times where you're excited to go to the gym because you're like, oh man, it's a, every week seems to be a little heavier, a little heavier. Every time you walk in the gym, you're like, things are going up, up, up. I can't wait to see what it is today. And then there's, um, and that's when you're like riding a wave of momentum into a competition. You're like, oh, no matter what happens, it, it, it trans transfers over to your energy because you're like, whatever happens, I'm going to have fun because I'm going to hit something good. Whatever those other people hit out of my control, it is what it is. But I know I'm gonna have a good day. So like, no matter what, it's it takes a little pressure off. But then there's also the flip side, where if you're around long enough, there's those times where you're training. You're like, what the hell is going? Like I know what you mean when you said my bench disappeared, and I did nothing different. I'm eating, sleeping. You're like, what the hell? Where is it? And um, and then the opposite effect happens mentally, emotionally. You're like, going into the competition, it's still going, but you're like, oh man. I don't, I don't know yeah. what to expect. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's kind of what, you know, after the Arnold, my training had, it was, it, it was doing okay. It wasn't super horrible. It was, you know, holding pretty steady. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was still wait, I was still waiting. I'm like, okay, we're steady now. So at any point, <laughs> yeah. if we want to just start taking off, I would, that would be great. Yeah. Um, and then we uh, we went on vacation, and I knew once we got back, we went on vacation in June. I knew once we got back from vacation, it was gonna be it was gonna be go time. Like we were gonna need to be getting super serious about numbers and, and what we need to be hitting and things like that. And um, and when we were on vacation, that's when Scanlon posted that she was going up to the 63s, and I was like, oh hell, I'm like now we really gotta hit the numbers, you know? Yeah. And um, and and that's when we we made an offer on a house and bought a house, which was which was part of my plan the whole time. Um, so we got back from vacation and training was pretty fine. I'm still waiting on the momentum to hit. And then once we moved, I think that is when I really got behind the fatigue curve. And is this is this you know because I was still. Is, is this before or after the World Championship as well? Because you had a really good post about Worlds um, when you said, hey, look, I didn't go to Worlds this year. And you made a post to the effect of if you ever get the invite, 
You know, it, it was it's really well worded. I don't want to butcher it, but you're basically like, don't take things for granted because you don't know when they roll around. Like life is funny. A door opens up, and sometimes you like, you know you, you don't walk through that door. And um, I think it was for I mean sometimes you hear lifters they'll get an invite for juniors or they get an invite for whatever like ah balk at certain invites and it's like listen listen especially in U.S. nationals it's like, you, you basically said don't don't take for granted like you watch the worlds from afar. Um, was this before or after the Worlds? Because I don't want to really bypass that. Uh, when I when we moved? Mm-hmm. Well, no. When, so, Worlds was the week before I went on vacation. Okay. And, and did that fire you up watching it? Were, were, were you watching it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, like you're talking about, I take you... I mean, I don't want to say I took Calgary for granted, but I sort of took it for granted because, you know, as a 57, I knew I was, I knew I was going to win at nationals. Um, I knew I was going to be invited. And then the class, the 57 kilo class that year kind of changed up a little bit because Maria T had gone up for that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I didn't have, I didn't have, without Maria T there, I didn't have, the the push to feel like you know like I, I didn't have anything to prove that year like that's that's the, sort of the mentality I had um, and so Calgary I was you know I mean I guess I did a hundred yeah I, I took Calgary for granted a little bit and I wasn't feeling physically great and I wanted to go up to the sixty threes and I was just holding back for that one more year um, um, yeah yeah. So then, um, so then when I was watching, when I was watching everybody in Sweden, I was like, cause I had, I had been invited as an alternate to be an alternate, but I didn't take it cause I knew we were going to be moving. Mm. And, and when I was watching everybody in Sweden, I was like, uh, this, I should have been there. I should have gone. I should have <laughs> taken the alternate. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, right? Like this was. Your situation's a little different where like you were you had some real life stuff going on. Like if you're moving and whatnot, like that's some high stress. So right. it's one of the you don't want to spread yourself too thin. Um so it makes sense. It definitely I mean, yeah. I say I should have gone, but it was definitely the right call to not go. Yeah. I mean Yeah, yeah. But for a lot of reasons. But But I do like when you posted in there be like, like you really gotta think hard about those type of decisions. So I like so I think it's more younger lifters might tell themselves, look, I'm 22. Um, I could, how many world championships might I get invited to? How many national teams might I make at 22? I got the world in front of me. And then I think it was Chloe Dublin, who she's 20 years old. I had her on the podcast mm-hmm. leading into the nationals. And I remember telling her, yeah, I mean, you could go juniors, you could go open. So if you get the open invite, you might go juniors and it might be an easier win to lock in. You have that on your resume. And she actually showed some maturity there, kind of speaking what you were saying in your post where she's like, listen, I get it, I'm 20, but if I get an open invite, even though I could say, well, at 20 years old, I could have maybe 10 more, or I could have no more. Some phenom could come up behind me the next year and I may never sniff at another national team world invite again. That door can close and that would have been my opportunity. And she's like, I want to go to the big dance. If I if I ask myself what means more to me, like one might be a higher probability to win, but I don't want to close out the show having never been at the open worlds. And like it showed maturity. I was like, I didn't even 
I've been around the block watching a lot of these. I didn't. I thought it. I was like, you're right though. You can't take for granted when that invite comes. It's like, for all we know, you know, that could be like the last. Everyone could be the last one. It's so crazy competitive. And she was 20 years old. And she's like, no, man, I'm taking it if it comes. Yeah. And I was like, then I remembered. That's right. That's true. Like what you had posted up saying, if if life doesn't get in the way, you know, within reason, things happen. It's like, look, this isn't a good idea. Right. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying like take yourself to the poorhouse to go to IPFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but if you if you can and you're able, you know, go. Like it's, I, I was thinking, I was thinking before this podcast, like, Sometimes you can, you know, you can get into a situation where you take some, take it for granted, especially if you're a person who's winning and you're uncontested, you know, you can kind of have that mentality of like, oh, I'm I'm definitely going to go and kind of shrug it off as just like an obligation of a thing, you know, but I don't know. It's crazy what happens when you when you seize these opportunities as they come, you know, I started thinking about it. You know, with powerlifting, you just say yes to something. I decided to do my first nationals. I decided to do that, and then rope filmed me, and you know, I got the experience of doing that, or like just traveling in general, um, doing podcasts. You know, like being interviewed—that's a whole other skill set of, of something I would have never had had I not had I said no, nah, I'm gonna pass or whatever. So it's it's crazy how one opportunity can lead to a million different experiences and then you, you know, you have that the rest of your life. Yeah. Like it's, um, 100%. And I think too, if you come off to a really quick start, like a fast start, like you hopped in the USAPL and then boom, you know, you're winning nationals worlds and best lifter. And it's like, holy smokes in, um, uh, like for younger lifters, sometimes they're still juniors and they're able to win national open championships and make world teams. And it can be deceiving where it's like, oh, well, kind of like you said, like, wow, it's almost like that, that'll be there for me. But with powerlifting, people come out of the woodwork so quickly out of nowhere. And like, it's, it's crazy how quickly competitive some things can come, you know, and, and it's um, easy to somewhat take for granted, like, well, I'll, I'll get the invite and I'll go. And then other times you're like, I'm going to fight tooth and nail. I need the best performance of my life. And holy smokes, these other girls, like your podium at the 63, that's, that was an insane podium. Like you guys, that was probably off the top of my head. I can't think of another class in the U.S. Raw Nationals that was that significant a podium. Depth of competition. That's insane. You guys had, um, when, when Megan Scanlon was at U.S. Nationals, or sorry, Worlds, her total was the heaviest 57 kilo total we had seen. Then two seconds later, Maria T went up there and it's like, holy, like world record breaking stuff. Sam Calhoun, world record breaking deadlift and, and obviously unofficial world record at nationals. And then yourself, champion of champions at the world championship. I can't think of a podium that deep. So it's like, right. well, when it comes to like competition like that, I, like, Put it this when you moved up to 63s, did you realize, holy smokes, I'm moving into probably the toughest division possible? Like you were moving into the sharks tank for sure. Was it was did yeah, you hundred percent. Yeah. That's what I wanted that's what I wanted. Like I I wanted to be in the middle of it. I need I need to be I need to be pushed. I need to know that if I'm not doing every little thing that I have no shot at winning. Like I I, that's what I enjoy about it. Um, 
So a hundred percent. Yeah. I, that's why I wanted to go. I knew, I, I knew I was right there with them. You know, I just need a little bit. I just need a little bit of time <laughs> and for everything to, to line up perfectly, then it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. It is a different feeling when you're in, like how much different did, does like raw nationals of 63 feel than for instance, Calgary. And that was world championships too. Is right, that- yeah. Calgary was just, that was a struggle for me. I wasn't, I, I hadn't been, like, my body wasn't feeling super great going into the meet. And like I said, I, I was so done with being a kid. Um, I, did, I just, I didn't want to maintain that body weight anymore. I didn't want to deal with the cut anymore. I was just, I was over it. So, um, I just, for Calgary, and because I, I knew that, I mean, anything can happen, but I knew I was likely to win. I just wanted to get it done so I could, so I could check it off my list and move on, yeah. move on to the next thing. Yeah. And then it, as far as the 63s go, it, it just, the 63s felt more like, more like my first worlds, like that 2017 worlds where, you know, I knew I had, you know, I knew I had Maria T and even Phil Manova at that point, you know, just people that are, you know, you have to be on top of your game or just don't even show up. Basic. Does that make it, because it's, it's like a yin and a yang, right? When you have like that deep of competition, for sure, you're, you you got to be in your game. That's going to motivate you in training and whatnot. But is it also like, like you had like the pressure and then like all, putting it to the preview show, which you would obviously heard and you're like, oh shit, okay, I got you. And you hear stuff right. like that. It's the yin and the yang of going into like a star-studded division like that, where it was so deep a competition where there's like, there's all three could be favorites and the pressures, like more people are watching and more people care, which is great because when it comes to sports, you had actually posted um, a poll, which I love. And I've been, I've been saying this forever. Sports people want to watch showdowns. People want competitive showdowns. I, we need to think that anybody can win. If you if you miss a lift, oh my God, you just fell back and it's, it's dramatic. Or, oh my God, all three girls missed a lift. Now who's going to pull ahead? There's a seesaw of momentum. We, like the 74 kilo boys had. That's, that's sports. Otherwise, it's a runaway favorite who's putting on a bit of a clinic. Break a record here, break a record there. But it kind of feels like an exhibition when they're lifting someone unopposed. So there's a yin and a yang, right? Like emotionally... What you feel when you think you got it in the bag, so you're not pressured, like, I probably got this, and the pressure's not there, but then the gratification afterwards, and the, oh my god, I can't believe we did it, and the whole, like, leading into it, there will be, there will be picks that go the other way, there'll be all types of right. breakdowns where you're like, I don't know if I want to listen to this preview show, it could go, I don't know, right. I don't know if I should listen to this, or, or you know, so... Maybe we'll like touch upon that, like how it feels, because not a lot, a lot of lifters will ever feel that. Like, it, like you had said, when when you started winning, oh shit, I'm getting podcast invites. I'm getting uh, like you're on streams. Everybody's watching. People people can go into showdowns, but they're not like the amount of podcasts, even for the U.S. Raw Nationals. I could see who downloads, and we got people like in Asia and Europe downloading U.S. Raw Nationals preview podcasts. This is the U.S. National previews. So it, it is an added little spice in terms of pressure and in terms of that kind of stuff. And, um, and maybe it feels a little different as a 63 when you're like, oh shit, this, this, this might feel a little different running into those, 
So maybe speak on that a little bit, and then it touches up on also the preview show. Sure. Um, you know, I think in regard, obviously, in regards to pressure, like social media is a huge is a huge factor. Um, and I don't, I don't post my top lifts. I don't post every detail of training. You know, I'll post, I'll make a post here and there if I feel if like of training. I try to post training videos just to stay, to stay in it, yeah. um, to stay relevant. But I'm typically not going to post my top lifts, and um, I think. I think if there, I, I know Sam doesn't post her top lifts, no. 100%. Sam, Sam told me uh, <laughs> before nationals, I said, I can't remember, I sent her a message about something, and uh, she said, oh, by the way, I don't I don't follow you or Jen or Scanlon anymore. She I quit following you guys. Oh, wow. And, uh, and she said, I just want to, I just want to do my own thing and not worry about you all, which I, I, I mean, I totally, I get that, and I, I understand the angle 100%. But then I was messing with her. I said, uh, "All right, well, I'll just, I'll just text, you. I'll just tag you in my list when I hit them." <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure you see them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "I'll just bully you that way." Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think definitely um, how much you post can create a lot of hype. Yeah, create a ton of hype around around your performance, around what you're going to do at the meet, and. Um, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to meet day, literally anything can happen. I mean, yeah. you can you can take all the right steps and do all the right things, but when it comes down to it on meet day, just anything can happen. You can unexpectedly feel super great, and you can unexpectedly feel super terrible, or just you can lose your luggage, you can lose your husband, <laughs> you can literally, any, anything can happen when it comes down to meet day performance, so... I try to to stifle the hype just a little bit, just for my own mental expectations. Um, I don't want to give I don't want to give the world these super high expectations when you know I know I'm aware that anything can happen. Um, and then, like before nationals, I'm cr- I'm like crunching every number. I'm like looking at I'm looking at meet day statistics. I'm looking at you know, how often people make lifts or fail lifts and what their jumps look like and I'm um, adding up subtotals and, you know, doing best day scenarios, worst day scenarios, like every scenario that there is. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, it happens every meet at, at the end of this and I just like throw the pencil down and I'm, no, I'm like, you know what, all I can do, all I can do is make a plan, work my plan and do my job and it'll, you know, the chips will fall where they fall. Yeah. But that's kind of that's kind of the route that I've taken. I've learned over the years that the social medias are going to hype up are going to hype up people, and um, you got to kind of learn to just brush it off to the side and and know that all you have to do is just do your job, make your lists, and it'll it'll all come out in the wash no matter what so i'm a big like boxing and usc fan and one guy like one of my favorite guys is randy kocher and he said um honestly and like usc is like really obviously millions of people watch that so the pressure's like uber crazy high and he's like um they're like oh you're an underdog again again you're an underdog in the last like three title fights you're an underdog despite winning because he's an older guy he's in his 40s 
every time he defended the title was against a guy 15 years younger. So every time he defended, everyone picked the other guy to take his title from him. And they're like, do you get insulted by that? And he's like, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, when people are picking against you and you're the underdog, it takes a little bit of pressure off. Because nobody expects yeah. you. No, if they don't expect you to win and you do well, they're all like, oh, wow. He's like, it got to the point where if I lost but I gave a good account of myself, people are like, oh, good for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, all right, I'll just, I'll just do my best. And some things are off where... Um, sometimes when the pressure's on, you kind of like you were saying, if, if, if you're posting big training numbers, everyone's like, oh my God, is she going to do this? Is she going to do that? You start feeling the pressure and you're like, I, I like the attention, but I don't know if I like the pressure. And it's like a yin yeah. and yang where it's like, I'm not sure which one I prefer. So I guess some people are motivated differently, but it does make it like, you know, just a few years ago in this sport, it wasn't nearly as intense, not as nearly as many people watching the streams and, and doing the podcast and downloading and stuff. And now it feels like, yeah, there's a whole lot more pressure and it's tough to mitigate. You have to do certain things. Um, so not only to alleviate pressure, but so your competition doesn't know what you're doing. Do you get, you, you briefly touched up on as well. And I want to double back to that for a second. But um, so Sam said, she doesn't want to like see what you guys are doing. She wasn't posting. But Matt Gary was um, handling her, and Matt Gary, I know for sure, pays attention to what you guys do. Um, so she kind of can let Matt drive, and she just does her thing, and Matt's going to, like, you know, research as many of your guys' lips as he can. Do you, who, who handles you, and does that person do as much scouting as possible? Um, Wade, Wade Johnson handles me, and, and Aaron Thomas. Aaron, Aaron writes my programming uh, Wade's with me every day in the gym, so he comes to the meets and handles me, and Aaron's with us too. Um, I think Wade and I work. Wade and I work together as a team, leading into the meet. Like I'll I'll shoot him if I see something. I'll shoot him a video that says, you know, look at this, blah blah. I think they're good. I think they're going to end with this at the meet or whatever, and we'll have a little discussion about that. Um, Wade definitely does his own scouting. You know, the first world's he knew he knew every lifter on that podium and, and what they were going to be doing. Um, so Wade definitely does his own scouting for sure. Um, and then we kind of chat about it in regards to you know if there's a, if there if we're going to use a specific strategy for the attempts and such, we'll, we'll chat about that. And then day of, I. I I shut it down. I don't, you know, I hand him a, a piece of paper of my opening attempts and, and my goals and then let him, let him drive the bus to, to reaching the goals. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, do you ever come up for like a breath of fresh air every now and then and look around to see where you're at after squats, where you're at after bench? Or are you just like, let me know come the last dead what I'm pulling for. No, yeah, no, I don't, I don't ever look at the, I don't ever look at the scoreboard, um, at the score sheet. Whatever, um, and I really try not to pay too much attention to what other lifters are doing. Like I won't ever ask. I don't ever ask if if somebody missed a lift or got a lift or what their numbers are at the meet. I just I literally just do whatever I'm told to do. <laughs> you know, Wade will be like, "All right, stand up now," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't. Look, and every now and then, Wade. Every now and then, Wade will ask me. My opinion, um, it's usually it's usually the third deadlift. He'll ask me, you know, um, 
because like, like at nationals, he's like, I want to be, I want to be aggressive on the deadlifts. Let's, let's go for it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there were some discussions and, and I was like, going into the third deadlift, I was like, well, if I've already got silver, because I was the, that was the first goal was to get silver. And then the second goal was just to get a PR on my total. So going into thirds, he's like, he's asking me different, you know, I think he wanted to load a huge deadlift. And <laughs> he, you got the sense, you're like, wait, I think I know what you're trying to lead towards. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, so 195 gives me the PR total, right? And I've already got second locked up. And he's like, right. I'm like, the, the 195, let's just go 195 and be done with it. Um, did, did, you, so, yeah. did you know coming into this, um, because especially with the U.S. Raw Nationals, as competitive as it is, and there is a couple of weight classes that you'll have two lifters. When, uh, with, especially with Daniela Mello pulling out. Now, the way IPF points work, and everybody knows it's well documented, heavily favors the 83 kilo class. But with Daniela Mello pulling out, you were really battling. And, and I don't know if, like, in that, when national team invites go around, but everyone all of a sudden the focus really shifted towards the 63 kilo class. Um, and you really didn't want to play too much. It changes things a little bit because. In the sixty-two, in the sixty-three kilo class now, a silver is huge. A silver is a world title ticket. Where it's like, even if like gambling with a gold medal pole might not even be worth it at that point. We're like, okay, well, if the bigger picture is going to the world championships, and by the way, it's Belarus, which treated you pretty kind last time. Um, you know, you it's, it kind of changes some things. So leading in, did you guys know that? Mello pulled out at the time you lifted and were you because I can't remember the timeline when she said I think it was week of is really tight when she officially announced sorry guys I'm not lifting did you guys realize that at the time and realize okay this is more than likely punching a ticket to Belarus if we play our cards right yeah 100% um you know I knew I knew Danielle Mello was kind of on the fence on what whether or not she was going to compete um I wasn't for sure, but I definitely wrote on the sheet that I handed Wade. I said, you know, I wrote, we need the biggest total possible because of Carpino. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so so that's what we did. I was like, we just need to go. We need to get all the lists, and we need to make the biggest total so that for that eighth spot, that eighth spot on the on the female side is is, is going to be – it's either going to be a 63 or an 84. Yeah. And – with Danielle out, it's pretty much 100% going to be the second place 63 kilo lifter. So, yeah, that definitely, it was playing a role for me. I was, I uh, either wanted that eighth spot or I wanted the top alternate spot, and I plan on taking it either way. I mean, yeah, yeah. And leading into that, so you had mentioned, and I got to eat my crow because obviously it's well documented. I picked uh, <laughs> Megan Scanlon, and I picked you for third, and I was. I was dead wrong. Okay, so you you did your thing. You took the silver medal, um, and you and Sam both let me have it. You were like, I, I, she tagged me in the post as well. You guys are tagging. I, well, you didn't tag me, but everyone else did. <laughs> you 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 let it out, and everyone else tagged me, which is all good. I mean, you gotta I gotta eat my crow, right? But um, going into that, when you, when you hear like a preview show, is it does it? Because you were saying in the blog post. Like, um, and it's tough, man. I know those preview shows, like, doing it, like, I, we don't have ESPN, so I know we got to do, like, to build hype around these, and we need hype. We need people to care. Um, the toughest part 
these interviews are easy, especially when someone wins. This is easy. Having you won, being like, hey, congratulations, you go to Belarus. That's easy. One of the hardest parts is those preview shows because you're like, fudge, I know everybody's listening. Only 1% are actually going to be the people lifting, right? Like, very few of the people listening are the people who are actually were picking for or against. But you know some people are going to be listening who, are, who you're going to be picking against. And that's, that's really hard because you're like, shit, man. But you got to make a pick. You can't. The worst is when you do, um, like, listen to a preview show and someone's like, I don't know, it's too close, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pick. It's like, ah, oh, come on. You got you to do it. Um, but when you're on the other right. side, like, everyone knows that. But when you're on the other side and you hear that, is it like, oh, shit. Like, I know you were, obviously, you're on the podcast now. It was no hurt feelings. But is it like, is it difficult? Because you had mentioned in your blog post, like, man, that got me a little salty. Was it, was it? Sorry. Was it like a, what was it? Was it, did it try to rattle your confidence a little or? Are you freezing on, am I freezing on you? Oh. Are you back? Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I kind of broke up a little bit for a second. No worries. Can you, am I? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. It's it's a double edged sword listening listening to the previews. Like one part of me is like Jennifer, don't fucking listen to those previews. Don't do it. <laughs> and the, and then the other part of me is like I'm listening. I'm listening. I gotta know. Um, you know, it's just it's part of it. And for and for me, it's it goes back to the, just my my mentality. I always you know I always tell Wade that I try to. I do try to float under the radar hundred percent. Like that's my, that's my strategy all the time. Um, so I, I, I do kind of expect it. Um, and, it, and this particular preview was good. It was a good push for me. It was, it was a good way for me to like, you know, flip that switch, flip the switch over to like the super competitive, um, I'll, I'll show, I'll show this preview guy, you know, like that sort of mentality. Um, so I think it just depends on, on who you are as a person and and how you tend to react to stuff like that. You know, if you, if it's something that you're going to listen to and it's going to destroy you, then just don't listen to it. But you know, if you're, if you're me and you listen to it and it's something that's going to kind of, you know, build that chip on your shoulder a little bit and you need that, then, you know, go for it. Yeah, because you. But can... it's all it's all fun. It's all it's all a good time. I mean, obviously, we as lifters, we appreciate you all doing the doing the previews because it does add to the hype, and that's that's part. You know, that's a lot of the fun. Yeah, I mean, the worst position possible. It's weird because um, when you're when you're in like a, a, a deep battle in a deep competition in a deep division, the pressure it can be like super duper tight. And you're like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. And then some people like, some people pick the other person and it's, it's super tough. And I bet you it's, it, I bet you the pressure is super tough and there's a lot of emotion involved because you care about the outcome. But even worse than that, those worst things could be winning year after year and nobody cares about your division and you just can't get no, there is no hype and there is no discussion. And it's just like, oh shit, man. Like I get, um... You know, I get messages from people and they're like, I don't think we get enough love. Not even just the visions, but like maybe a different federation that's like, you guys really did a lot of push on King of List, like the, the, the preview show 
and um, and like the posts and stuff on the U.S. Raw Nationals, and we didn't get too much coverage at all on this other federation's worlds and stuff like that. And I'm like, look at bottom line, kind of market dictates where if there's a big demand, you're gonna supply it and put a lot of coverage. And um, so it's a yin and a yang. If you're in a First off, the big federation, a lot of people follow. And then, oh, by the way, you're in a crazy deep division, possibly the most competitive division in that federation. It's going to be crazy spotlight intense. And um, during it, it's like, holy shit, I don't know. It's it's, it's pressure, right? But then on the flip side, when all is said and done, you're like, well, at least like when I'm doing my thing, people actually care. Like powerlifting fans, your division was probably the deepest. You know, but it is um, it is definitely a double-edged sword, like you said. Where it's- yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of it, too, has to do with the Federation itself. I mean, if the Federation, like USA Powerlifting, is putting out – they're putting out content. They're they're putting out content. They're reposting lifters. You know, they're, they're building hype towards, towards the meet themselves. And then the actual meet – itself is a crazy production you know they have they started doing the prime time they yeah. have screens you know they give you badges like they make you feel they make you feel cool um yeah. so i think a lot of that is you know just building up that hype and being and being out in front of people's faces is is on the federation too you know i think the prime time is an, like an amazing idea like once they started prime yeah. time that was that was a massive push for them because um, they have so many lifters, well, well over a thousand all the, all the time now, and to make it like all killer, nothing but killers in that prime time, and because it is prime time, like they pick a time slot that the majority of people are gonna be able to watch, like after work, everyone's at home, you know, to a large extent, yeah. and watch it. Um, yeah, I think that was a huge thing for viewership and everybody, yeah. and they really do. They have a pretty good social media. Um, I know they hired. I think this year was nine for nine, and obviously the nine or the white lights guys are there. There's a lot of media these days putting out really good packages. But um, yeah. yeah, the bigger it gets, you know, it, it, with the big screeds and all the promotions, the, the tougher it can get as well. But it, like you said, it's all part of it. You know, you gotta, you gotta appreciate Cause I think the worst would be um, being in one of those divisions where it's like, ah, oh, it's a runaway victory. You know, it's right. not quite yeah. that battle. But uh, so yeah, it would be- when you were walking into nationals, was prep, in the weights, did they start picking up and moving again? Or were they still steady as she goes? Or what was it like right before the Nationals came around? Um, so about, I want to say I was three weeks out. No, something like that. About three weeks out, I had a squat. And I think I hit, I think I hit 172.5 for my heavy set. And it was like a slow grinder. And I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I don't want to go. We're not ready. I'm not, I'm not ready. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I, I was super disappointed. And I was, I, I really was pretty defeated about like three weeks out. Um, Cause the, you know, my squat, my squat wasn't good. My bench was still being annoying. Um, and even my, and even my deadlift wasn't that good. You know, I think I hit, um, that same week that I hit that super slow squat, I had a 185, a 185 deadlift, and it was a grinder. And I was just like, I don't get it, man. I, I remember you posting. I don't, I don't want to do this. I remember you posting um, a meme about like this is me going into nationals, and like, yeah. like I remember you posting like that. Yeah, 
a couple things. You never know if that's like to throw off the competitors or what it is, but no, no, that was that was a true that was, that was a true, true feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I've been I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, since we moved, since we moved, really, I just I just could not. I could not sleep. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't stay asleep. And then I train in the mornings before work. And so I'm going into training feeling like absolute garbage. And um, my last heavy week of training, Wade, uh, Wade had to go to, he was going to South Africa for his worlds. And so he wasn't going to be there in the morning. And Wade, it's been me and Wade in the gym in the morning, like the past several months. Um, so he's, he's been the guy there that's spotting me. And, um, and so he was going to South Africa and he wasn't going to be there in the morning. And I, so I switched my training to the evening for that last week. And so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was because I switched to the evening. I don't know if the stars all just aligned and I started sleeping better or I just got to sleep lo- a little bit longer or maybe the pressure was, I was putting a ton of pressure on myself to sleep. <laughs> which, which was te- that's terrible. Yeah. Um, so that last week of training, when I switched to the evenings, I finally, you know, training finally started to click a little bit. And I was like, wait a minute, there might, there might be a sliver of hope here. <laughs> um, so yeah, that last week kind of started, things started to click a little bit better. I hit 180 kilos for, my last heavy squat, and that was really good. Oh, maybe it was good, good enough. Um, and then bench, I hit 107.5, which I was over the moon about my bench at that point because <clears throat> it had finally, it had finally come back. So, and the deadlift, the same thing. I was able to hit, um, I was able to hit 190 kilos in training, and it was, and it was, you know, like, they weren't like blowing me out of the water or anything, but I was just like, okay, all right, <laughs> maybe. Maybe we can hit a PR total here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how much um, sleep can be a factor. I don't know if you've seen, like Joe Rogan had like a sleep expert on. And he said they did like baseline studies with people with eight hours sleep. And then baseline studies with people, uh, they just disrupt the sleep. And they're like, you're only allowed now to have six hours. And then some, another test group, four hours. And not only the physical capabilities in terms of, the nervous system's ability for like speed, strength, drop and drop a decent chunk. Yeah. Um, but even like cognitive abilities, like memory recall, decision making, um, and then how you handle stress and how you handle like pressure situations, which is probably all this wrapped up into one when you have a move right. and, and nationals and all this stuff to pull together as well as training. It's like the recipe for, yeah, like sleep is, it's massive. And the tough thing about sleep, so when it comes to nutrition, got you. I have to hit these macros. I can eat those macros. I'll figure out a way to force the macros in me. I also have a hard time sleeping. So I, I, I totally sympathize. When you said, like, I get it. When people, like, the worst thing in the world is when you can't sleep and someone's like, no, just just go to bed two hours earlier. It's like, yeah. Right. No, no, I got you. <laughs> so I, I get the plan. I can't make myself fall asleep. Like, I just, I want yeah. to. Or, no, I just sleep in. It's like, no, I got you. I, w- I want to get eight hours. I can't. I can't force. And they and they think it's just like a time management thing. It's like, I can't make myself sometimes, right? It's difficult. Yeah. And I take my own in. It's tough. 
there's this thing going floating around a little bit before nationals uh alberto nunez posted about uh he posted this thing about uh getting like getting 100 hours of sleep a week and he said something like you get 100 hours of sleep a week and you see you see what your training does and then talk to me so then like everybody then like there are a few people posting that they were going to try to sleep 100 hours a week and i was like man there's i don't i don't know how that's even possible but like i did it too i'm like i'm gonna sleep 100 hours a week and i'm gonna win nationals like <laughs> There's no way. I don't, I don't know how people do it. I'm good. If I can get, I feel good if I get seven, seven hours a night. I feel strong about eight. I feel even better. Anything yeah. over than eight, I'm just like, how? I, I'm literally, if I sleep, if I sleep eight hours the next night, I can't fall asleep for some reason. And here's the thing that people don't know, because we covered this last time, but that was a few years ago now. You are, you got a full-time job, a mom, as well as training, like a world champion, um, so you wake up, let's give, like, give people a day because I remember last time when, when you ran down your day, people are like, holy shit. And this is for people who have like tons of excuses. Like, oh, I, you know, I got a really tough right. schedule and I'm like, well, let me tell you the Jen Milliken story, but tell, <laughs> tell people the rundown of what your day looks like. So, I mean, I, I have a, I do have a flexible work schedule, so that's, that's really nice for me, but typically it's like. Oh, my alarm will start going off at like 445. <laughs> um, and yeah, I do. I do hit snooze a couple times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, usually try to, I try to be out of bed by five. Um, and then, you know, some, a little bit of breakfast and then getting out the door to the gym um, with all, with all of my things. This is the most annoying thing to me that, that really kind of beats me down. <laughs> the is the schlepping of all my stuff everywhere so you know i when i leave in the morning i have i'm wearing my gym clothes i have my work clothes i have my lunch i have my shakes i have my coffee and that all has to go with me out the door and then (laughs) and then to the gym and then the gym to work and then pick up the kids and then you know we either come home or we have some after school activity to go to and then dinner and homework and then go to bed again. <laughs> and that doesn't seem like a lot to you because that's your life. But for other people, that's like front end to back end. There's no, you're, you're constantly hustling. Like training is your yeah. own thing, but it's still, it's weird. When you're training for like an event, you still get pleasure out of it. It's a stress reliever, but, but it can be stressful because if you've got an event coming and numbers aren't the way you like, that's the tough part. When it's the off season, you're lifting weights. You're like, oh man, it feels good to get some angst out. When you hit like a five by five on squash, you're like, oh man, you the feeling of getting the angst out, shifting some weights and stuff. You're like, that was a good stress reliever for life. Like work was yeah. tough. Work was tough. Kids driving me crazy. Threw some weights around, and I'm I'm good. I'm pretty good. Like if, if I didn't have that, I'd probably be a little more angst on people. But then um, right. when a big event rolls around, all of a sudden that stress reliever can be stressful because you're like. Now you're worried about the number of that five by five, as opposed to just moving oh, away. Yeah. So then, then it becomes that's when the killer schedule starts wearing on you more so. And maybe that's yeah, when absolutely. And that's when maybe that's when the sleeping in. I can't for a lot. I can't picture waking up at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning and lifting heavy. Is that difficult for you, or, or are you just used to it? Yeah, I'm just used to it. I mean, 
like now when I think about having to train, if I do have to train in the evening, like I get, I get hit like the middle of the day and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, then I still have to go in and train, um, which is, you know, when I get up in the morning, it's like, I don't really have to stress about anything else in the day. Cause like, you know, my kids and my kids and my husband, they're, they're all still asleep and I go off, you know, I go to training. And so I'm not at, like encroaching on any of the family time. Yeah. Um, as opposed to when I train in the evening, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hope they're getting their homework done. Oh my gosh. I hope <laughs> uh, like, are they eating dinner? Have they packed up their bags? Are they going to be ready to go? Is Michael going to remember that they have to do all this stuff? You know what I mean? Um, so the, the one good part of training in the morning is that like, I know I'm not, I'm not like, like I said, I'm not encroaching on any other responsibilities that I have. Like I can, I can do this and still do all the other stuff. Not to say that it doesn't, it doesn't wear me down every now and then, but Michael definitely got a few crying phone calls after training sessions (laughs) (laughs) leading up to this nationals for sure. (laughs) It is one of those, uh, yeah. yeah, mom takes one week off. And then comes home and the kids are smoking cigarettes, gambling in the in the kitchen, <laughs> some playing cards. You're like, Michael, what the shit? I took one week off from this. What's going on? You told right, me, yeah. you told me they're allowed to smoke cigarettes. What am I to do? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah, and ironically, because the prime time is in the evening, maybe the last week just acclimatizing to to shifting weights in the evening and whatnot helped a little bit because it all adds up. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, for you peaking and smashing, like that's a total 12 hour difference ordinarily um, for you or even worse. Right. Yeah. It's something I definitely thought of that when I, that last week of training, I was like, well, at least I'm training <laughs> just one more thing, like whatever I can do, like whatever I can throw into the pot to make it, you know, give me any slight advantage, you know, I'm willing to do it. Um, so definitely, that definitely came across my mind when I was training those evenings. So, but typically it hasn't bought, I, I haven't noticed it, um, you know, training or training in the morning versus what time I compete. Um, I do think I do better when I compete later in the day oh, as yeah. opposed to, um, if I, if I compete in the morning. Here's the thing for, for some people, like for like myself and I think a lot of people, who, who are used to training after work. And a lot of people could not wrap their head around waking up at five o'clock in the morning and starting getting going. You probably, it's probably not enjoyable. I think everybody would prefer to sleep in and then get to it when you get to it. But if you were in a competition and let's say there's a time zone difference and a lot of your competitors are like, oh shit, that time zone whooped my ass. It's the equivalent of waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Right. And you'd be like, oh, well, okay. I think that's part of being a parent too. You kind of learn that mentality of just like, whatever, that's, we're all starving. We all haven't eaten or slept in 15 years. Who cares? Let's go. That's like, right. I haven't slept in seven years. <laughs> yeah. What is a night's sleep? It's all the same to me. Yeah. When you're going into nationals, do you ever do, cause now like I'm starting to get more and more into this. Um, and some people who come on the podcast talk about it, like mental prep, where they see, they literally see like a mental prep coach and some people even see, um, hypnotists who take them into, 
Yeah, and they, they take them into like game day mentally and start doing things like um, like Mark McQueen's episode and Stephanie Cohen even talks about it when she was on and they went to it and I guess they could they could plant mental cues like a hypnotist can and it when you see the mental cue to yourself over and over after the session and not everybody does it impact the same keep that in mind but it literally can bring you into the champion mindset when the anxiety starts getting up there right you start picturing, mm-hmm. picturing like, what if I start missing? What if this happens? What if that happens? And there's certain cues you start telling yourself that he's implanted or he or she is implanted in you. And then all of a sudden, the feeling inside, it's like a, like a, med- it's all mental. And the, the champion sure. winning positive mindset starts creeping in. And um, I mean, Mark McQueen was coming through a really tough, like a tough injury. He said, um, the guy asked him what his favorite color was. And he's like, I want you to picture yourself in that room, and the room's blue. And I want you to start breathing in. And with every breath, the blue starts coming off the walls, and it starts going into your lungs, and now it's starting to become a part of you. And now you're breathing in the blue. Keep breathing in the blue. And he's taking... And he's starting to get dirty blue like a, like a freaking superhero. And this is all when he's yeah. under. This is all when he's under. He doesn't fully remember it. The guy told him afterwards. So then when Mark McQueen, this is in Belarus, by the way. So, um, mm-hmm. so when he's in Belarus and he's like, man, I was, my, my bench press is like 50%. And he started bench yeah. pressing and he's like, um, like the pain started coming back and the anxiety starts mm-hmm. coming back. And he's like, oh my God, not again. This is my last year as a junior. Not again. And then he's like, let me go back to my mental prep. And he started picturing blue and he started saying the cues and taking these huge breaths and picturing, like, visually he knows it's not turning blue, but picture blue. Picture breathing it in. Yeah. And then he laid down on the bench, straight out of a Disney movie. He started, like, just <laughs> smashing weights. Goes out, hits a PR bench press. Last year was a junior, wins junior world championships. And he's like, my man, I realize, like, not everybody's susceptible to hypnotism, but that kind of thing works. And if not hypnotism, yeah. just mental prep. It's all part of it. You know, and it's, it's yeah. some people looking into, have you ever like thought oh. about that kind of thing or? Uh, no. So, um, when I, when I was, when I was younger, I played sports and stuff growing up and, um, you know, I was, I was maybe slightly above average, but, um, I almost never performed under pressure. Um, I was always really, I, I choked, you know, I played softball and, if they put me in, even though, even though typically speaking, I was a really good hitter, I could smash the ball. If I got up to bat in a high pressure situation, I was not performing. Um, and so when I first started powerlifting, somebody told me that I was good. And they're like, you, you're really good at this. You know, you, you have the capability to be world-class. And I was like, immediately I was like, oh gosh, I was like, I can't do this again. You know, I, I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be really good at something and not be able to perform. And when I first started competing, I, 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 off, I would miss, I'd be missing third lifts. I would, I would be missing lifts well under what I was hitting in the gym. Cause I was just so nervous and I just couldn't take it. And, um, you know, at some, at some point I got really tired of that and, um, kind of started, going going into those feelings of feeling like a person who fails under pressure and then just changing the dialogue uh, change the dialogue 
my internal dialogue to myself. And so when I was training for 2017 worlds, I, I would, I would be doing cardio and uh, be listening to music or whatever. And I would, I would think about the meat and I would think about doing the lifts and I would feel my body like tense up and get super, get super nervous about it. And I, and instead of like running away from the feelings, I just kind of stayed in them. And then, um, like repeated, repeated this mantra to myself. Uh, my name is Jennifer Milliken and I'm an IPF world champion. And every time, every time I would have those feelings, I would repeat that. I would repeat that to myself. And then it started, I started doing it where like I was driving the car and I would, and I would think of the meat and I would feel my body like get super nervous. And then I started saying it out loud. <laughs> um, if no, if nobody was in the car, <laughs> I would say, it, I would say it out loud. And like the first time I said it out loud, I felt really silly. I felt really stupid. Like, you know, um, but I just, I just kept doing, it. I just kept saying it to myself all through training, all through training. And, um, and so when I finally went to worlds and I finally won, like I finally didn't choke. I, you know, it was a real, like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a big video game player. It's yeah. not my jam, yeah. but I remember being a kid playing, playing a video game and like you get to one level and you just can't get past it. You know what I'm saying? Like you play that one level over and over and over and over again and you can't get past it. And then when you finally get, you finally get past that one level, you finally level up. That's what I felt like I had done in Belarus. Like I had finally leveled up after playing that one stupid level for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, I posted a video, I posted a video of me saying that my name is Jennifer Milliken and I'm an IPF world champion. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big believer in positive positive affirmations and just like that that's what works for me I'll repeat things to myself instead of just to kind of stop myself from going down into that negative spiral of like oh my gosh what if I miss what if I miss this lift what if I don't get this third depth you know what if I don't get this third squat then what's going to happen then, then I'm going to have to do this for bench and you just kind of I would have the tendency to just kind of spiral out of control so I kind of I started intercepting that with just Positive, positive affirmations. Bring um, something back. <laughs> I'll say, I think you froze. Are you back? I think you froze for a second. I can think I can hear you. Oh, yeah, there you are. You're back. Can you see me? Are you there? I'm back. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, Tuck. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you see me? Because I can see you. Yeah, a little, a little bit. You're, yeah, you're kind of cutting out. Am I? I'm wondering if I should call you back. Okay, I'll call back. I don't know. Yeah, I'll call back. Turkey, I want to get into this. I love this topic. Oh, man. 
no. Oh, no. Now, this is, I love when you get into the mental side, mental prep. And um, there's a couple things I want to talk to her about that. Because I know in Belarus, she was already in her 30s. And, um... I can see you. Can you see me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, I was just going to say, so a few points, because um, I love what you're saying there. In Belarus, you said you had that turnaround. And when you were in Belarus, how old were you when you won Belarus, the Worlds? Uh, 34. 34. Okay. I was going to say 34, because I thought I remembered correctly. And um, here's what, so everyone knows that one quote. Um, it's been probably in a million memes where people recite it saying, Sports don't build character, they reveal it. And right. here's what I don't think is necessarily true about that quote. I 100% think that people can grow, and I've seen people grow within a sport, and um, the way they enter isn't always the way they leave. You can get mentally tougher as it goes. And you at 34 years old, for anyone listening, who's like, that's not me. Like, I'm not, I don't have that in me. I, don't, I can't do that. It's like, no, you can... The person you are today doesn't have to be the person you are tomorrow. You could develop things. You could you could get tougher. You could develop these skills. You could get tougher as you go. Um, like I said, I was a, I'm a big boxing UFC fan, and there were guys who um, had quit in matches, and you see them quit. And well, for instance, George Foreman. Everyone remembers George Foreman got knocked out by Muhammad Ali, but Muhammad Ali said, "I just made him tired, and that made him quit." And it, he did it in front of the world, and it was embarrassing. George Foreman retired, didn't fight for 15 years. And the demons haunted him so badly that when he was in his 40s, he came back to boxing. And when he was 45, um, he got a title fight against a guy who was 26. And um, mm -hmm. when he came down to the ring, um, the announcers were like, you know what? There's something weird about those the boxing trunks George Foreman's wearing. And it was a joke. For Foreman having a title fight at 45 was a joke. And the announcer was right. like, now it's like, there's something weird. I, I recognize something about those boxing trunks. Now, anyways, put that away. And they kept commenting on the fight. And then around the eighth round, one of the announcers says, oh, my God. And the announcer's like, what? And they're like, you see the, the, the marks on the side of those trunks? And they're like, yeah, like, those are the boxing trunks he wore in 1974 when Muhammad Ali knocked him out. And that's when they realized he had lost every round in, until, the, until the tenth round. He lost every single round against that young man. And um, they realized, oh, he's, he's battling demons. He's not just fighting that young guy in the ring. He refused the fade, and in the 10th round of 45, he knocked this guy out and became the oldest heavyweight champion. And that's when you realize, I read his autobiography after that, and he said, yeah, like I, in my 20s, in my physical prime, I was mentally not nearly as tough. If, if I was winning, I'd continue to win. But if I wasn't winning and things weren't going my way, kind of like you said, where I just felt like I folded and I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, it was easier to make me pack my tent and go away. And, and, and just concede, just concede. And he said later right. on in life, it was on the second half of life, he started developing those toughness skills, whatever it is, and um, he became 100 times mentally tougher and um, ended up being known as the guy who could go the distance even when he was tired, even when the chips were down and he was losing, etc. So that quote, sports, I think, like they will reveal your character in terms of um, now we get to see where you're made of when you're losing and, and the chips are down, can you rally back? But I think... You can get tougher later on, like you did. And you're th at 34 years old, you're like, man, probably tougher now than I was when I was in my 20s, mentally. Yeah. You know, I yeah, 100. I read this. Um, I read this book 
um, I hope I'm not butchering the title, but I've, I've posted about it too, but um, how to fail at everything and still win big. And um, one of the things he talks about in the book, which is which has stuck with me, is that every, everything is an acquirable skill. Like sometimes, sometimes you see, you know, I used to be really guilty of seeing people on the platform just crushing it and just and just killing it. And, I, you know, to me, at one point, it, it seemed like magic. I was like, why can they do it? How, how can they do it? And I can't. And, um, you know, I thought it was just something that that was just them. That was just who they were as a person. And that and it wasn't me. Um, but over time, you know, after reading that book and, over, you know, just having different experiences and stuff like that, um, you know, you start to learn that every, everything is an acquirable skill. Like learning how to perform under a pressure is an acquirable skill. You can, you can do things, you can take actions to get better at performing under pressure. You know, I might be a terrible, horrible, natural dancer, but I can learn, I can learn to dance. I can, I can take classes and I can acquire the skills to learn to dance. Um, I might not be, I might not be a world-class dancer, but I can, I can acquire the skills. And so, um, that's been one of the biggest things that powerlifting has given me. And, um, you know, I don't know if I can, I say, I say, I pass it on to my children or I can at least give them the knowledge that like, look, even if you're not that good at something right now, you can, you can learn to be, you can acquire the skill. Um, you know, I guess if my kids don't listen to me, maybe, you know, maybe somebody else will, but anyway, I just feel, um, you know, I feel grateful to have that, have that like in my toolbox. Yeah. Because then you just, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of anything or like it, think that something is super scary or like unattainable. It's yeah. just, you know, just like, okay, I want to do this thing. So now all I have to do is acquire the skills, like they may have a plan to get the skills and get on my way. You know, it, it is um, 100%. It is, um, once you realize that, like when I was younger, uh, I remember in school, I mean, I was like, I had a hard time learning, especially with math. And by the time I got out of uh, high school, like I was not going to have the grades for university. And then as an adult, I doubled back, started taking a bunch of like high school class, retaking classes, upping my grades. And um, at one point when I was in university, I like, I took, went for business and had to, like, we, it was university level math and I was failing like grade nine math but now once i got over the hump and just basically was like what do i have to do to learn these and this is math man what do i have to do to learn the skills tutor every night and i mean every night then it was tutor every night and then once i started building confidence like holy shit i just passed that university level math and i swear to god when i was a kid like i was a guy who i was like i just i'm just not that smart like you just think that right you think that like you honestly think like, my brother has been on me. I'm not the smart one. And it's weird how you, right. when you say affirmations like that to yourself enough, I swear to God, I thought that. And then later on, yeah. it's weird. It's like like kind of going back to the video game thing. It's like a cheat code where you realize, no, just figure out what, maybe it's a little harder. Maybe you got to take a different route. So I sat down with a tutor day in, day out. When I was in university, I had people beside me who were like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Um, I'm going to flunk out. I can't do it. And uh, my teacher, the professor, saying one out of four of you from this class are going to graduate. So look around to your left and right and ask yourself who it is. 
And I remember kids telling me that. And I say kids because I was like an adult trying to figure this out. And I was like, man, right. I'm in that math tutor lab every day. I've never seen you in there once. You're talking about quitting. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I don't think right. you, you haven't gone all in. You just haven't figured it out. You just are just getting tested and you, you're so you're going to pack your tent. As opposed to you get tested in, I think it's the mentality of, I need this, I want this. So I just have to figure out how to get it. I don't have the skills right now. Right. And, and I'll put my hand up and say, I, this isn't working right now. How do I get from A to B? What do I got to do? And it's it's kind of like you were saying, it's different every time. Right. Powerlifting or it's school or whatever, there's a route, there's a way. You just got to kind of figure it out. And once you did it once, it's not as scary in life when you get tested with something else. And you're like, holy shit, I don't know. If you figure, sometimes you're like, no, wait a second, I've been here. I've been tested. I can figure certain things out. Same with like public speaking. Um, public speaking is yeah. one of those things where like CEOs will hire a public speaker to come in and do a speech for them because they don't want it. And they're successful, they're confident, but they don't want to do public speaking. And I've um, right. done public speaking because I'm, I'm, I like talking. <clears throat> and, and early on in my like <laughs> teens, early 20s, man, I was shy. And people like, what, you? Because this is like all I do is talk now. But I was super, you would never in a million years think that I would be doing like public speaking. I go to like public schools with like media there doing public speaking and stuff. If you knew me when I was younger, you'd be like, no way in hell, this dude. Right. I was the most quiet guy in the room. They were like, you don't, I never, I, would, I could go the whole night without saying nothing. And now I'm the dude that all my buddies like are like, this dude flies around the world to talk. You know, you know what right. I mean? It's crazy. But you can 100% attain those skills. If you're listening to this, like, you 100% where you are right now isn't the way you always have to be. It sounds cheesy. Right. It sounds cheesy, but it's true where it's like, no, you 100% can change the situation. And I mean like a big 180, you know, it totally turned it around. Right. That's what also what I got from your blogs when I read them. Which is really good, by the way, to anyone listening. I love reading your blogs because it's well-written and stuff. But it, it is true. You can mentally turn things around for yourself. Yeah, 100%. And it's just like – and sometimes it just takes someone telling you, you know. Like when I, when I was younger, I – you know, there was, there was a culture – growing up that like if there was a, if there was an inconvenience or you know something some little bump in the road happened that you just you just quit it just wasn't it just wasn't meant wasn't meant to be yeah. or whatever and sometimes it you know when I got married that's one of the things that, that I've learned from Michael is that he he just keeps he just keeps going you know it can be like you know near near death but he'll just he'll he just keeps going and i'm just like oh i didn't know i didn't know you could do that <laughs> i thought you just had to quit you know um so it's it's one of the and it's it, i don't know it's like with my with my children and their their school like my son my son struggles hardcore with spelling Ugh. and um and and like we go through, I, I go through this dialogue with him every time because I know the outcome I know he doesn't like getting bad grades like he feels bad about himself if he gets the bad grade but he does have he does have to work hard at learning those spelling words to get the good grade as opposed to like you know my daughter she could glance at my words once and she's good to go um, but with Leo I'll say he won't want to do his spelling homework and us and I'll say okay well. Just 
Think about the outcome. Think about the outcome you want. And then, and then we don't have to do the spell. We don't have to do the homework. We don't have to do the, we don't have to do the homework if you don't want to. You can go in and tell your teacher you didn't feel like doing it. Yeah. And then a hundred percent of the time he'll say, okay, okay, let's do the homework. (laughs) (laughs) It's true though. Because as soon as as I put it on him, you know, I'm not going to force him. I I hate forcing. And so as soon as I put it, I, I give the ball to him and, it's his responsibility. I'll say, think about, I want you to think about getting a bad grade on a test and think about how it's going to feel. And, and if that's the way you want to feel on Friday, when you get that test back mm-hmm. and he's like, I don't, I don't want the bad grade. And so then he'll usually he'll do the work. <laughs> it, it is, it is a correlation. I remember too, um, previously in life, if you try something, you don't do so good. You're like, well, I guess I'm just not that good at it. So, and you move on. When it's not, I, I remember also, kind of like you were saying, turning a corner where it's like, well, maybe, maybe not, but how something starts and how something ends isn't always the same. Like, you are you might not be good at something immediately, but after a while, you start realizing if you, like, go 100 into something, you're always going to gain a certain um, aptitude for it. You're going to gain, like, a certain, you know, level on it. And, um, yeah. And, and I think... Once it happens once or twice in life where you start and you're like, man, this is shaky and I'm not sure. Once you stick in and grind your heels into the ground and you start working through it and then you actually have a couple breakthroughs, it changes the way you approach other things. But for a while there, I, I was like you were saying, drifting through and if it wasn't working out, you just, you move on. And it's got to come yeah. easy. It's got to come easy initially. I need to have early success. And some people never really fully get past it. That's why to an extent, early success isn't always the best thing in the world for some people. Because you can skate by on that until you get checked. And if you get checked at a high level when it's high stakes, then it's then the, the outcome can be really, really, really harsh on you. If you get checked when it's low level, low stakes, and then you learn that, it's a lot easier. Um, I also want to double back. When you were saying about affirmations, you were reminding me of uh, Muhammad Ali when he was talking about, like everyone knows, he used to go, I am the greatest. And he said, yeah. um, I said that before I even knew I was. Yeah, he was just a contender on his way up, and he would say over and over, "I am the greatest," over and over and over to himself, to everybody out loud. You know, he first said it to himself, then he got brave enough to say it to other people, and then all of a sudden, oh my God, he started believing it. He was like, "I, I read his autobiography as well." He's like, "I for the first for the longest time thought I was just running my mouth, but I ended up being an affirmation." He didn't even know he was practicing an affirmation. Where he grew up, right. and came up, um, a black man in the '60s in the South. There was no positive reinforcement. You could do whatever you want to do if you set your mind to it. So he just developed these skills on his own. And then he was like, holy smokes, kind of came into that realization what he was doing after the fact where there was daily affirmations, basically. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. There's, I can't remember the name of the book, but I read this book a while, oh, a long time ago. But one of the things it said in it was, uh, you know, if, you're, if your words were a cloak, what would your cloak look like? Um you know, if what if what you say about yourself was was printed on a cloak that you have to wear, what what would your cloak look like? And so, I like that. so I think about I think about that fairly often because you know I, I mean as a female and as an adult, oftentimes there's a there's a culture around talking about yourself poorly um, or kind of being uh, what's a word? I can't think of it. I can't think of the word. But you know just. Just talking down about yourself, like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm fat, oh my gosh, whatever, my hair doesn't look good, or whatever the hell it is, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But after I read that book, you know, I kind of switched gears and became so much more aware of the way that I was talking about myself. And then another another thing is I think about if my if my children, if I were to hear my children talking about about themselves that way, you know, yeah. that would that would that would break my heart. And I'm and they children are really bad about only doing what you do and not what you say. <laughs> And so I'm just I'm so much more aware of <clears throat> of how I speak about myself or my children, and um, mostly because I don't it w- it would just break my heart if I were to hear them talk about themselves poorly. Um, and and it's a, and like you said, it's, it goes back to the same thing. It can really change your whole your whole belief system, your whole identity about yourself, what you believe about yourself. Just changing something small, like just the way you talk about yourself. You know what? I- I really like that cloak. Um, you know, keeping that in terms of like a mental picture. If you're gonna wear that out, and everyone's gonna see it, man, how would you feel if it had if it had like a bunch of negative words? Yeah, you would really be like, you would think twice about that. Or yeah. would you say that about other people? Right. You might say negative things about yourself that you'd be like, how would you feel saying that to like your best friend? Say it to his face. Saying the thing mm-hmm. you said about yourself, and you might be like, oh shit. And why is it okay to say it to yourself? You know what's, you know what? I just got like a, have you ever thought about the fact? So you said earlier, you know, I don't know how my, if my kids take inspiration from me, maybe they take it from someone else or, or whatever, because I'm their mom and they see me as their mom. But have you ever thought about, cause this is a, in this, dig, this digital day and age, cause we didn't grow up like this. Okay. I'm a little older than you, but still we didn't grow up with like podcasts, internet, social media. Things were different where things are like, like permanent. Like this conversation we're having right now for, not to get weird out by, but for here, <laughs> but, but forever, forever is out there. Have you ever thought about when like your kids are adults and they're like, um, cause I know for a fact, if my mom or my dad, like were world champions, even if I wasn't into the sport they were into, if my mom was like a world champion, fucking volleyball and I'm not into volleyball and she was in papers, there was video, she did podcasts, interviews. And I'm like a 35-year-old man. Yeah, I'm probably going to be like, hey, shit, guess what I found about mom? I found this yeah. audio, this old audio. It's called a podcast. Let's listen to it. Have you ever thought about the fact that, like, they're going to double back as adults and listen to yeah. all of this? Like, your stories and listen to, like, your views on life and all your advice that you – like, have you ever thought about that? I have. And I didn't I didn't for a while. For a while, I was pretty stubborn about – about my social media and what it was that I was posting and, um, you know, just kind of like reckless, like not reckless. I mean, you know, I don't get that crazy, but, um, and one, and I posted this, I was coaching my daughter's basketball team and, um, they had, they had a really great game and I was, I was, I was so proud of them. And, um, you know, I was really, I was, I was really inspired by their effort, and um, I'd taken a picture. My mom had taken a picture of me talking to the team, and I posted that picture, and you know, wrote something about it or whatever. And then I got a message from one of the parents that said, "Hey, if you don't mind, I caught wind that you posted a picture of my daughter, and would you please take it down?" And I was just like, "Yeah." Like, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to get crazy. I'm just going to say, yes, absolutely. You know, my bad. And it was at that moment that I was like, oh shit, I need to, I need to kind of pay attention to, 
to what it is that I'm putting out there, to what it is that I'm that I'm saying, that I'm writing, that I'm posting, you know, because it's so 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 many more people are paying attention than you think. Mm. And like and it was it was at that point that I was like, oh man, I need to I need to kind of and I have thought about like if what if when I'm old and like if anyone has still has access to my Instagram account, I'm like, are my kids gonna hate me or love me? I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know. I try to keep it real on there, so we'll see. We have it's weird because this is like a digital footprint. Like people in the future can come back in time and get a pretty good of idea of like everything from blogs to um, yeah, yeah, all the social media gatherings to everything. Whereas previously. You're kind of reading between the lines. Like you might see a random picture here and there, but tell me about grandpa. Cause you might like you're, you know, you you would have one or two pictures besides that word of mouth. Tell me about my dad's like my grandpa's dad. It's pure word of mouth, two generations away, who knows? But this this right. day and age, in the future, if someone in the future was like, Hey, um, did you know this in our high school? A few generations back, we had a world champion in powerlifting. Oh, really? Yeah, her name is Jennifer Milliken. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to search for her if Google's still around. And they're going to, yeah. they can pull all this up. You know, yeah. this, this whole thing is coming out. And they have, it's weird to think about. I try not to think about it too much because I talk all the time on podcasts. And um, if you, like, I want to be able to talk freely. But at the same time, because you want people to get, you don't want to be too over-censored and people could tell. But on the flip side, right. on the flip side, you do also, you don't want to like knee jerk reactions or, um, you know, it makes you think about things a little bit differently. Put it that way. Like, you're like, yeah. like, like if your, your first emotion isn't always, it's an honest emotion, but it's not the best representation of you necessarily. If you think right. about something. Is that, yeah. <laughs> Pop the brakes. Pop the brakes on the first, on the first emotion. <laughs> Pop the brakes. Right. It's, there's, there's a difference between keeping it real and, and yeah. just... Because it's not even your first emotion isn't always the most accurate representation of how you feel as a whole, right? On on everything, it um, right, yeah. And I, I think about stuff like that all the time. And then obviously, when you're on the air doing like I'll do like four podcasts this weekend, and um, holy smokes, man, I'm doing like ninety to ninety minutes to two hours of podcast. Sometimes I'm like, I mean, you, that's that's a lot of talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot of you know to a certain extent you gotta somewhat watch what you say, but you also want to be honest and whatnot. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean it's a straight up sign of the times. Um, I also want to ask you about um, the SPD Invitational because now that there's now that there's money involved, has it? What were your thoughts when you seen holy? First off, holy smokes, there's a lot of cake involved out there, and we don't know exactly how it breaks down. But the amount of money involved, you got to think it's not just for the overall winner. There could be some other prizes. First, second, third, is there world records? I don't know exactly how it's going to break down yet. But um, now there's that there's money involved. And certainly, you know, you being a 63 with what you can bring to the table. Has that changed some, some views for the future? And has that, has that changed your mind on things at all? Well, um here's the deal about the SPD Invitational <laughs> is I, I've heard rumblings. I've heard rumblings of this meet since, uh, since Calgary. And, um, I've been, I've been waiting, waiting for the, for the information to come out about it, you know, 
And, um, and I've been, I've been, I've been thinking like, well, maybe I'm like, you know, nationals, I don't think is going to be a big, it's not going to be my big, my big splash meet. It's just not there yet. Um, I'm like, but maybe they'll, maybe they'll finally announce that SPD meet. Maybe I'll get invited to that. Maybe that'll be the one. (laughs) And then when they finally announced it, I was like recounting every IPF meet that I turned down. (laughs) I should have taken that alternate spot. I should have gone to NAPS. I should have gone to the stupid Arnold, like all Mm. these meets that I didn't go to. Um, So I was, I was a little bit like kind of, it was kind of a punch in the gut for me when it first came out when, and then the, um, you know, what makes you eligible came out, but you know, I've, I've accepted it. And it's definitely, definitely in the back of my mind that if, if they do it, if they are able to do it yearly, um, you know, I plan as so long as I'm, so long as I'm invited to Belarus, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go. And like I said, the chips will fall where they fall, but I'm, I'm going to be going for it. And you know, that, that part is going to be that SV invitational is going to be in the back of my mind the whole time too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see how, how it turns out for the first year. Um, obviously everybody wants to be a part of it, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited they're doing it and excited to see how it goes. And, you know, maybe they'll just get the kinks worked out for me this year. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way of looking at it. Would it be, is there ever anything where, um, cause I'm wondering uh, like for, for everybody, if there's anything like, Oh, look, I don't want to make 57. That's crazy. But then you're like, look at this. If you offer me $30,000, and I don't know if it's $30,000. I'm just throwing a number out there, what it might be. Well, if you, oh, it could be a lot more than that. If the money's crazy, would you be like, yeah, I'll hire a dietitian and we're going to go all in. Like, would it change no, like yeah. that? Or 100%. Like, I already sent Pete a message. Like, when the when the when when it first came out, I was like, hey, if you need somebody to go as a 57, just let me know. It changes? Like, I, I'll make the sacrifice. <laughs> but I just need to know, like, right now. Yeah. <laughs> Because it would, I wonder if there's, because um, it's a hobby, like more or less a hobby sport, but now if it's starting to change, still hobby sport, but there's some serious money involved, it would be like, it would be worth, okay, I will hop on macros and start doing some create, like it's, I will inconvenience myself, put it that way. I will, I will suffer a little bit, but if it's like, um, it would have to be worth it. And then, and then you're seeing success at 63, so then it becomes, oh my gosh. Uh, maybe I'm past 57. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's funny. We were talking about the, your first emotion and that's exactly where I went, you know, in my mind, I was like, Oh, I could go, I could go as a 57, you know, and, and have a shot at winning and blah, blah, blah. But then like after a while, like after I had, you know, accepted the fact that I wasn't going, um, I kind of thought, Man, if I did actually go down to 57, I would undo, I would undo so much. And, um, and even that last, you know, that last meet at 57 was tough and, um, I don't want to, I don't want to do it again. (laughs) Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of lifters that like, because you you would say money doesn't change everything, but who knows? Like the way, like when that kind of money, I don't know how it's going to split up, but if we're talking 30, 50,000, et cetera, all of a sudden, it, it's, it'll change, it, and this is year one, if things go well, and, and it just gets bigger and bigger, and more and more viewers, and powerlifting keeps getting bigger and bigger, 
um, it might start getting more and more like professional sports where you have like like a, a handling coach, a programming coach, because a handling coach could cost you $30,000 if you pick the wrong numbers, right? If he, if he just didn't realize, hey, look, it, uh, you better have a better grasp at lot numbers and how chips will work and, and scout the hell out. And so there might be, like, we, who knows? I don't know if in 10 years from now, it would be crazy when they look back and they hear we didn't all have, like, a nutrition coach, a handling coach, a programming coach, and you're going to see a mental prep coach. Like, who knows what the future is going to look like if we were, like, back in the Stone Ages in terms of how we approach sport. Like, we still approached it like a hobby. I don't know. I don't. It's yeah. interesting, though, when money comes in like that, some things can change. So I'm interested yeah. in seeing what the future holds. Yeah, and I think a lot of that too will depend on how what the breakdowns are of of the prize money because the way and I was just looking at the on the female side um, there doesn't there's not a ton of head to head head to head matchups so I don't know if you know if they're gonna do the prize the prizes based on I'm sure there will be some prize money based on IPF points. Or if it's going to be more about breaking records or stuff like that, because if you know, if it's just if we're if we're there to break records, then there's no use going down to 57. <laughs> there's That's no true. use changing up changing up the the weight classes that much, you know. Especially if you're looking at records, going down just to break a record doesn't seem like the best route, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But you know, who knows? You might also cut to like some weird what appears to be arbitrary number. But you could be like, look, it, um, I might not make 57, but I can make 60 comfortably. That'll help my IPF points because um, I'm not going head-to-head with another 63, so it matters not. So I'll just cut down so it bumps my IPF points. Right. It would be something like, not that I've done the math, but it would be something like 515 at 58 kilos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you start picking something, you're like, 57 is not doable, let me grab, yeah, 58 and a half kilo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm interested in seeing how it all shakes up. Um, but I think that is, it's, it's exciting to see there's an, actually an avenue to go to, to like turn pro after Worlds or something like that. And maybe it gets bigger. And maybe, like, this is the first year around. So maybe they see it and they're like, okay, how do we increase the likelihood of, of showdowns between individuals, you know, and they start... Like in terms of, because they want it to be entertaining. Uh, who knows how it's going to morph? When it, when something's year one, by the time it's year ten, who knows what it looks like, right? So it's going to be interesting to watch. I think yeah. everyone's going to watch with interesting eyes. I'm I'm curious to see how it um, how it translates over to worlds because now like it's one thing to win worlds and you, and you get to win a title and. Um, you know, you get a little, you get a little bit of clout recognition with that, but now, now you get to qualify for this huge meet. And so I'm curious how it will affect the production of, of worlds, because, you know, if you've been, if you've been to USA powerlifting nationals and then you go to IPF worlds, there is a drastic difference (laughs) in product, in production level of, of the meet itself. So, um, I'm curious to see how that, if if it kind of ups the game, kind of pushes kind of pushes worlds to be to have a higher production. In terms of um, like the live, or in terms of like the, in what way do you do you think there's a drastic difference? In, in, in the in the you know just like the whole meat setup, you know, at at nationals you go to nationals and it's 
you know, like I said, they've got they've got the screens, they're giving you the badges, they've got nice medals, they've got the whole shenanigan. They've got the, you know, the step and repeats where you go and take your picture in front of people, you know, in front of them and um, all that sort of stuff. And with Worlds, there's a lot of hype because it's a lot of, because it's the best, the best lifters in the world, but there's not a ton of like, uh, you know, event, like just straight up event production. Yeah. It's, the day of... Yeah, yeah. They're more um, like live. It's not like that. It's more like online. They got a TV crew with slow mo replays and like all the. Right. They're legit TV team. Um, so I think they're more like uh, the the production value in terms of the TV style, but not right. the live style. Yeah, not quite like the U.S. Raw Nationals. It's yeah, and I think some of that vision of what they think an international meet, you know, in terms of show or in terms of whatever. But, yeah, we'll see. It is interesting. Here's another thing that's interesting. If you're at the World Championships and you think you're going to win and you could win and throw a couple chips on the squat dead and pick up a couple world records and win, or are you like, hey, man, that could cost me $5,000. I think I'll wait six months before I go for those world records. Thank you. You know what I mean? Where you're like, I don't know. I don't. I say 5000 I got no idea how much. SPD invitation will pay you for world records, but you might be like, how far do I want to push these world records if I'm going to try to beat them later? Because in the Olympic right. weightlifting, there were people who were chipping their, the same world record over and over at like an uh, RPE, yeah. at like a like a low RPE where people are like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, well, he his country, his home nation pays him a million dollars every time he breaks a world record. It's like, yeah. well, that makes sense. That yeah, makes sense. I, have, I have heard of that happening. Um, but the, the other, you know, I mean, I don't know. I was going to say that if you if you chip it low, then you leave the door open for somebody else to chip it. Yeah, that, that's where you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you would have to look at the field to be like, hey, look it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. It is. You better make sure someone else doesn't come around and just soccer ball kick that bad boy right out of reach. And you're like, hey, I'm going to SPD Invitational. You're not. What are you doing? Right. And I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's some, like, for the most part, as far as, like, me handling, like, we just call, or Wade, Wade just calls what there is, for the, for the most part. You know, we do have some strategy in there. You know, like, at Nationals, at third deadlift, we probably could have gone, you know, we probably, I probably definitely could have pulled 197.5. I could have maybe pulled 200, maybe. Still a big maybe. Um but for the most part, we're just, I don't know. I think you just got to load what's there. Mm-hmm. You can't get, can't get too overly strategic, especially yeah. if you're, as, I mean, it's one thing if you're not being contested yeah. and your country's paying you a million dollars, just keep, I'd chip it forever. Yeah, I guess we'll see. This is the first year and um, it's kind of exciting to think we're on the cusp of something different. Like, this could be the first year of something, like, powerlifting could be told. This could be game-changing for everybody. It's a little yeah. excited to be involved in this and, like, be around in this. It's that quote, what a, what a time to be alive. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but, uh, listen, we've been on for an hour 45, and I greatly appreciate you coming on here, um, especially, like, now that it's all but guaranteed that you're going to Belarus. Um, I would love to have you back on by the time the World Championships rolls around. But what, before, uh, where's the next time we're going to see you? Are you going to do the Arnold Classic, or do you think you're going to forego and continue on training right into Belarus? What do you no, think? No, I think I'll I'll probably do I'll probably do the Arnold for sure. Um, 
I don't know where it'll be at the Arnold, but um, I plan on being there. Um, after this, after I took off from the last Arnold, I'm, I'm a little gun shy. I'm taking off for such an extended, <laughs> an extended uh, period of time. But uh, yeah, I plan to be at the Arnold, and, and then hopefully, as long if all goes well, I'll be in Belarus too. So sounds good. And um, also, uh, where can people find you if they want to read the blog, if they want to follow you on social media, stuff like that? Uh, the blog is poweryourown.blogspot.com. I think, <laughs> and uh, on Instagram, I'm Jen Milliken, and yeah. Is the blog <laughs> is the blog in your Instagram? Uh, yeah, I think it's linked to my Instagram. Well, there you go, and it's a good blog. You guys should read it. Um, anybody you want to thank before I let you go? Uh, just sponsors: SPD, Uplift, and uh, Zenovo Supplements, and of course, all my all my family and coaches. Sounds good. Listen, thanks for coming on. Um, damn near two hours just flew by. We had a pretty good chat there. It's been a minute, though. It's been like two years since we had one of these podcasts, so we had a lot to catch up on. I would love to talk to you again before Belarus. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we'll keep in touch. Good luck training. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. There you have it. Jennifer Milliken. Um, in all, like, it's not official, but in all likelihood – going to Belarus, and obviously last time she was in Belarus, world champion, uh, champion of champions, best lifter in the world championships, no less, so Belarus has treated her kindly, and um, if Belarus treats her as good as it did last time, I mean, she's she's there. 63 kilo class at the U.S. national level, extremely competitive, and some people in some weight classes say, if you, and you hear some of the commentators say, and I really like this part, um, you know, the Nationals is going to be even a tougher fight than Worlds. If you win Nationals, you probably won Worlds. And I don't like it where the American commentators say that um, because, I mean, the 63-kilo world champion right now is from Italy, and um, Carla is an absolute beast as well. I can't wait to see the rematch between her and San. Throw Jen in the mix. Another phenomenal scrap. Um, Leah from France broke the world record in squat. Uh, young and, and only improving. I mean, you have the top five in the world. The 63s, in terms of the world, extremely competitive. Uh, extremely short-sighted to say, you know, if you win if you win nationals, you basically won worlds. The 63-kilo women in the U.S. are all world-class, but the world's a big place. You know, and, and the battle there is just the first step. Um, and I mean, I same with the 57s. I don't know how to tell you who Maria T is, our Canadian girl, world champion. It's the same thing, man. There's The world is a big place, so can't wait to see Belarus and see how these ladies do. And then, um, obviously, with the SPD Invitational, it will be Carla Guerra from Italy, who's going to be at, at the first SPD Invitational. And then everybody gets to do battle all over again in Belarus and see who gets the next invite to the next SPD Invitational, as long as there's just a year or two. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Um, first, we got to get through the first SPD Invitational, knock that one out the park, and hopefully it does really well. And when I say we, I mean powerlifting as a whole because it just keeps opening up that door. Exciting stuff nonetheless. So I hope you guys liked it. By all means, man, if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a subscribe, give us a like, give us a comment. I will comment back. If you're listening to this on the audio version, Post it up in your Instagram story. I will repost it. 
Give us high ratings. Let everybody know. I appreciate it. People like Jennifer Milliken, she deserves to have this kind of exposure. You know, her story, all these lifter stories, the struggles they go through, a lot of people want to hear them and identify because they battle the same type of battles you do. They have the same types of thoughts you do, and they overcome them. And it is inspiration, and people should hear this, and she deserves this kind of exposure as well. And uh, so we're going to continue on from Six Pack Lap at that. Peace.